when I was asked to be part of this great endeavor, this, this weekend, really this whole week of Eucharistic reparations, I was so excited. And then um, Maria approached me with the idea of picking a miracle out of this book of the Vatican miracles, the Eucharistic miracles of the world. And she knows how much I loathe reading. And yet this was a book that I've, I've read. This was a book that I've, I've given copies away. So I was like, oh, I was very excited. So I said, it's not extra homework. I took the book and I, I looked for a, a miracle that would jump out at me. I'd like to begin with a prayer, a prayer that I'm sure most of you know, if not all of you. The Fatima prayer taught to the children by the angel. We just prayed it during adoration a few moments ago. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. And I beg pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. Very fitting prayer considering the miracle that, that jumped out at me. It was the miracle at Osobrero in Spain in the 1300s. A blizzard going on. A blustery morning. There was no one coming to Mass that day. The priest was there, about to celebrate, knowing that nobody else would show up, except one gentleman did. Two people at Mass. One who believed, adored, and love Jesus Christ and one who did not believe did not adore resented him resented the man for showing up the priest who had to be there but didn't believe the poor farmer who chose to be there but you couldn't keep away with a blizzard trudging uphill through the snow through the, the bone-chilling wind. That mattered more than life itself to him. And as the priest would go through the, the motions, even in his disbelief, and as he would elevate the host during the consecration, it changed into human flesh right in his hands. The chalice began to spill over, not with wine, but with human blood spilling onto the corporal. It's said that even the wooden statue of the Blessed Mother bowed her head in adoration to her son and in reverence to the farmer's faith. The miracle of Osobrero. How beautiful. One who believed and adored and loved our Lord and one who did not. Who who we would be praying for, begging pardon for. How often are these Eucharistic miracles, if you go through this book, it's a little daunting being a priest. So often it's born out of the priest's doubt. The priest's doubt as he's celebrating Mass. It's almost a wake-up call. You couldn't keep that little farmer away from, from Jesus Christ, could you? 
we, we're at a time right now where the obligation has been dispensed in so many places in our country, in our world. People say, you know, oh, you don't have to go now. You don't have to go now. You don't have to go ever. You don't have to go on Christmas. You don't have to go on Easter. You don't have to go. Oh yes, the bishops can dispense you of the mortal sin of not going. But I'm going to tell you, you don't have to go. And I was in the seminary. I remember walking up the stairs. In the seminary, you're always on edge. Because if you say the wrong thing to the wrong priest, you might not get ordained. Remember that boy. But this was a priest who me and my classmates really liked. We got along very well with him. And he had had a rough day. You could see it on his face as he was coming down the stairs. I said, Father, tough day today? And he went through the litany of everything he went through from grading papers and giving out, you know, giving lessons and lectures. And he said, you know, yeah, now I have to go say mass. And I said, oh, wow, you get to go say Mass. And he goes, yeah, I have to go say Mass. I went, yeah, you get to go say Mass. And my friends looked at me, like, nudging me, like, he's having a rough day, what are you doing? And he looked at me with a wry smile, almost disturbed. And he nodded. And he says, thank you. Thank you. I get to go say math. I mean, as a seminarian, I just long to say math. Couldn't imagine. I'd be lying if I said there weren't days where I was feeling where he was, and I went, oh, I have to go say math. Then you realize, wait, no. That's the wrong mindset. You don't have to go to math. I don't have to go say math. I get to go say math. You get to go to Mass. You get to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. You get to be welcomed and invited by God himself into his presence like that farmer understood. We get to be that close to our Lord and Savior. And it was St. Jerome who once said of Scripture that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Jesus Christ. He is the Word made flesh, right? Who dwelt among us. So if we don't know the Word of God, how do we know Jesus himself? But I would contend ignorance of the Eucharist is ignorance of Jesus Christ because this is Jesus in the flesh, literally. His flesh, his blood, his soul, his divinity. And how often do we reduce it to an obligation to a mere obligation, a chore, to a hardship. Go and be with Jesus Christ. It's not meant to be a chore or a hardship or an obstacle. It is a consuming invitation. And so when, when we don't have that mindset, 
When we've lost that mind, when we have ignorance towards the Eucharist, we really have ignorance in our faith towards Jesus himself. Because hopefully our aspirations are to one day be with him forever, for all eternity in heaven. And if that hour is an obstacle or a chore, boy, is eternity going to seem like a long time. Right? This is our preparation. I get to go see God. There was a young man in my last parish, autism, struggled to, to form a sentence. He was a big guy. Sometimes he would even flail his arms about, so people were a little afraid of him. Loved him. Still love him. He would come to the church in the afternoon, whenever his mother could bring him or, or his uh, caretakers could bring him. Because he just, as he would put it, I want to see the king. I want to see the king. And when the church was locked, he'd peer in the window just to see the king. Every time I saw him, I'm like, you come with me. We'll go in the back door. You can stay as long as you want. Mom's like, he only stays for 10 or 15 minutes. You know, most people don't stay at all. Let him come and keep the king company. Our Lord is so happy to see him. He knew Jesus. He knew Jesus like that farmer. Couldn't keep him away. Couldn't keep him away. And yet so... So much of the world, so much of the church, how sad, has been kept away from our Lord, dispensed for health reasons, yes. But how many have kept themselves away even before that? How many of them don't see Jesus Christ in the Eucharist? What they're missing? what they're missing. If we don't know who Jesus is, if we don't believe, really believe, that this is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King, we're missing the whole point. Because if I don't know who Jesus is, I don't know who I am, who you are. It's only in Jesus Christ that we actually know ourselves who I was made to be, who you were made to be. In the image and likeness of Almighty God, Jesus Christ took on our human nature and revealed to us who we were called to be, who we were formed to be from the very moment of creation. You and I were made for holiness, made for sanctity, to share in that divinity of God. We're not made to be here forever. This is a, a moment, a moment in time. You are made for a divine purpose. And it's only when we really understand who Jesus Christ is, we understand what he has done for us and won for us here on this altar, on that on that cross, 
do I begin to recognize why God made me and why God saved me and what he demands of me because Jesus Christ is the perfect man. Fully God, but also fully human. He is the perfect man. Living out in the flesh the example of what all of us are called to. Holiness. To know and do the will of God. We have a pandemic going on. Pandemic that is ravishing, ravishing our world. And I don't mean COVID. We all know about COVID. We have a pandemic of apathy, a pandemic of laziness, pandemic of doubt and despair, a pandemic of pornography and contraception, a pandemic of all the, all the things that would tear us away from who God made us to be. They didn't just seep into our humanity. They came rushing in, and no one said anything. Oh, save a few. That our church can dwindle the 20% attendance in the United States and to feel good, we compare ourselves to Europe, which has 10% or less. It's so sad. One in five come to know our Lord. One in five come to receive him. This glorious, divine invitation to be so united to Almighty God, that's a pandemic. That's a catastrophe. But that's the beauty of our God, isn't it? That a miracle like Osobrero to wake us up like that priest who didn't believe, like our world that doesn't believe, that we might know who we are again we might discover who we are in relationship to God, God's love for us again. Oh, painful. Painful when I hear children say, I don't want to go. I get nothing out of Mass. Or parents who say, little Johnny just didn't want to get up this morning. Well, Johnny probably doesn't want to go to school every day either, but you make him, don't you? Talking with some of these boys a few weeks ago, and I misquoted St. Thomas More from a, a Man for All Seasons, and they, they corrected me. I love this quote. It profits a man nothing to give his own soul for the whole world, but for whales? Did I get it right? But for whales. We've given up our soul for so little. For whales. 
Jesus Christ's flesh and blood, his soul, his divinity, poured out for us on this altar, on every altar, every time the Mass is celebrated. This should be packed. But for well, we're so busy with other things, aren't we? We're consumed by the earthly. Consumed by the earthly. That we've missed the beauty of God's love. That farmer didn't miss it. That young man with autism didn't miss it. You haven't missed it, you're here. That Fatima prayer is so important. That others would come to believe, to adore, to hope, and to love. Because where does this come from? Where do, where do young boys like this? Great to see so many of you too, by the way. Where do they grow up in the faith except from, from seeing it lived out? Where do, what do, how do boys learn anything? They watch their father. They watch their fathers. And I hate to put this on the, the men, but our churches are filled with women. Our churches are filled with women. Take a head count at daily mass in, in your parishes. Maybe your parish is special. 70, 30, 80, 20, women to men. Where are the men to lead these boys? To show that love, like that farmer. To teach them the important things. Yes, fathers teach their sons how to, how to achieve and how to strive and to work hard how to do well in school, and how to build things and protect. Teach them that which will endure a love for Jesus Christ by your own love, by your own faith, by your own belief. Then you have set them up for eternal success. There used to be a great tradition in the church, and it revolved around adoration. Forty hours devotions, where there would be adoration of the Blessed Sacrament through the night. Forty straight hours, stopping only for the daily masses. And it was those nighttime hours, those, those evening hours that were dangerous, a little bit more, you know, Frightful to go out at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Those were the hours when the fathers would take their shift. And they'd bring their sons with them. Fathers with their young boys. The father would teach their son about adoration in those wee hours of the morning. The sons would say, well, why do we got to go at 2 a.m., Dad? But your mom and your sisters and get some sleep. Because the men come out when it's a little dangerous. Because we're not going to subject the women to that. This is when the men come out. And, and young boys used to learn from their fathers. This is what we do. This is what a man does. He protects his family. He stands up for the truth. He lets no harm 
come to those he loves. And boys learn that from their father, and their fathers learn that from Jesus himself. I have lost none of that which the Father has given me. He learned sacrifice by going in those wee early hours of the morning. But a father who would lay down his life for his family, physically, but also spiritually. We learn that from the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Sons, as much as they may argue that they don't want to be like their dad, <laughs> they do. Good father is bigger than life. He's a superhero, but real. Two short stories. When I was eight, we went to the eight o'clock mass every Sunday. I remember one Sunday morning, I was about eight years old, my father called up, boys, time for church, come on. And I made the mistake of saying, I don't wanna go. I was met with a very stern reply. What did you say? I was upstairs. I was not within arm's reach. Thankfully, I'm still here. What did you say? There was anger in his answer, but there was also hurt. I knew I hurt him because that which was most precious to him, most important to him, was the Eucharist. And somehow I couldn't help but think maybe he thought he failed in passing that on or conveying it. I never said that again. A few years later, during our Christmas novena, every Monday night, there'd be adoration and miraculous metal prayers. And I remember asking Dad if I could go with him. Yeah, can I go? He said, well, it's during your basketball practice time. You'd have to choose. I love basketball. I was good at basketball, and I knew I was going to play that year. But I also loved being an altar boy. I loved serving. My father left it up to me. He said, how about this year I go to Novena with you? I learned that from my father. farmer, the young man with autism, my father, so many of you. We see Jesus Christ. Why does the rest of the world not? Why are we missing it? Why have we been so blinded by this pandemic of apathy and laziness? and pornography, and, and all the other distractions. Jesus Christ has tried to wake us up. He's given us miracle after miracle, like O Sobrero. My brothers and sisters, there's a miracle here today.
and it probably will never be listed in, in this book or any other. It is something really extraordinary happened today. But regular bread and wine becomes the Son of God today. For you and for me, for the salvation of the world. Spread the word. Spread the word. Be that farmer. Be that father who teaches his sons, teaches his family, protects them, and raises them in the faith. Be that, that parent whose love for Jesus Christ is so tangible that the children are, are disappointed in themselves because it cuts the parent's heart for them not to practice. There's a great statistic that shows that when a father leads his family in the faith, when a father is the leader of the faith in his home, the children are 87% more likely to practice the faith. And so when I look around our churches and I see the women coming and praying and the fathers not, this pandemic makes sense. Somehow it's been seen as unmasculine to pray, unmasculine to need God, unmasculine to not be able to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But how foolish is that? You know what's unmasculine? Being dense. That's unmasculine. You know what's unmasculine? Punishing your family by not teaching them the truth. You know what's unmasculine? Condemning your family to the fires of hell by not bringing them to God. Oh, Sobrero is beautiful. A priest who was woken up by a humble farmer. A priest who was shocked by Jesus Christ. A priest who may have been saved because one man trudged through the snow and the wintry blizzard to go see the king. Never doubt, never question the impact you have on even one soul by your faithfulness, by your love. And as Mother Teresa would say in the end, it's always between you and God anyway. This is between you and God, between God and you. He died on that cross for you, and you, you and you and me, all of you. How blessed we are to be here today.